It is good to be back with you this morning. We are nearing the end of our Kingdom Fits sermon series. I hope that this sermon series has been as helpful to you as it has been uh, for me. God has definitely enlarged my thinking in terms of how we can partner with Him so that we grow in obedience to all that He commanded, so that we experience more fully the abundant life that He came to give us for His glory, right? For our enjoyment and for the sake of others as well. One major point that we've emphasized in this sermon series is that if we are going to grow in obedience to what Jesus commanded, we have to train with Jesus. We have to train with him. Jesus transforms us as we do that, as we train with him. You may remember me saying that although no two training plans are going to look exactly the same, every training plan should address two primary objectives. And the first primary objective that our training plan with Jesus should address is growing in our understanding and experience of God as our creator, our savior, and our father. That's the first primary objective of our training plan. The second primary objective is to grow in our ability to remove our old automatic responses of thinking, feeling, and acting that are not motivated by who we are and to whom we belong, right? That are not in alignment with our new identity in Christ and his kingdom. So we're going to continue to look at this second primary objective because I believe that many of us are caught in the failure cycle. You may remember from last week I described the failure cycle by using an example from my own life. You may recall me saying that there are times when Mary gets mad and I don't believe she should be mad and frustrated. And my automatic response, my old automatic way of responding is to have negative thoughts that lead to negative words and actions. And so what ends up happening is I feel guilty and then I seek forgiveness once I calm down. And then I tell myself, you know what, next time I'm going to do differently. Next time I will try extra hard to not respond in these negative ways when Mary is frustrated about something I don't think she should be. And so what ends up happening is the next time comes and no matter how hard I try, the same result. Again, there's this guilt and shame you feel. I'm going to do better next time. Next time comes, no matter how hard I try, again, the same result. Perhaps you're stuck in this failure cycle where your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I know I should be different. I want to be different. I don't want to be that, that husband. I don't want to be that friend. I don't want to be that person. But yet, you are stuck. Maybe this morning, uh, you were getting ready for church, and your kids did a few things that just, just drove you crazy, and you just totally unloaded on them, like you unleashed the beast. 
and you're driving the church and you feel bad, right? You feel like, man, I automatically responded in that way and I know I shouldn't have responded in that way. And you know what? I did this last week and, and you know what? Come to think of it, I did it a few weeks ago as well and I keep telling myself, I'm going to be better. I'm going to try extra hard when they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. I'm going to try extra hard the next time it happens and I'm going to do better. But you keep failing. Perhaps um, there is a person at work that has been saying negative things about you behind your back. And every time you see them, and you got to see them weekly, and when you see them, your automatic response is just anger that boils up, and your face gets red, and your chest gets red, and you do everything possible to avoid this coworker. And you have all of these kind of negative thoughts and judgment and just anger towards this person for what they've done. And you don't want to be this person. You read the Sermon on the Mount and you read about Jesus saying that we need to forgive. And you read Jesus saying we need to love even our enemies. You don't want to be this sort of person. But no matter how hard you try in the moment, you continue to fail. Perhaps when the car or the furnace or the fridge or the mower breaks down, your automatic response of thinking and speaking and behaving is so irritable that even your dog doesn't want to be around you when these things happen. And you don't like it. You're short with your spouse. Or you're short with your kids. You act like a jerk to the the people at the parts department who you need to get your parts from. And, and you tell yourself next time, no matter, you know, I'll do better, right? But you're stuck. Maybe you're doing your online banking and a Victoria's Secrets advertisement pops up on your computer. And before you know it, your automatic response is you are looking, you, you go to the site and you are lusting after the models and then that takes you very quickly to other websites that you know you shouldn't be on. And you keep telling yourself, you know, I don't want to be this person. And you tell yourself, all right, next time I'm going to do better. I'm going to try really hard the next time. Next time I'll do better. Next time comes same result. We could go on and on and on with examples of how we are still ensnared to these old sinful habits of thinking and behaving. Surely you can think of better examples than I just came up with here this morning. And surely if we all put our minds together or just shared from our own personal experience, we could create a book full of these automatic responses that are out of alignment with the kingdom. What is the solution? How do we get unstuck? How do we break this cycle of failure? How do we live this victorious life the way that Jesus lived, who knew no sin? How do we do this? Well, this morning, I want to focus on how we get unstuck from the, the failure cycle. Pray with me, and then we'll consider uh, these things. Let's pray. 
<clears throat> Lord Jesus, um, we are so grateful that you are our great God and King, and that you have overcome Satan, sin, and death through your life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and your ex exaltation to the Father's right hand. Lord, thank you that when we are united to you through repentance and faith, we can share in your victory. Lord, I pray that as we consider how we may partner with you to live victorious lives ourselves, that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us, you would enlighten us, you would even use this opportunity to transform us so that we will approach this week differently. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We often, and rightfully so, look at Jesus' life with such tremendous respect and admiration. Uh, Jesus, oh, he was just, and he still is, obviously, so amazing. But when you look at his life as recorded in the Gospels, you see him responding to extremely difficult circumstances with such courage, such peace, such joy. You witness how he responds to different events without envy, without lust, without unrighteous anger, without covetousness. He was so secure in who he was as the beloved son of the Father that he didn't have to have people praising him, nor was he seeking the praise of other people. He had such a heart for those on the margins of society that were those people that were just overlooked or thought um, just like less than human uh, by the, the mainstream society and culture. You see him regularly be willing to have his life and his schedule be interrupted so that he can minister to other people who, need, who needed his help. He was able to even bless and love those who persecuted him, even those who were killing him on the cross saying, you know, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Like, wow, his life was so spectacular. As we learned in our last Thrive uh, class, he was so mindfully present in each moment, so approachable, so grace-filled, so bold, so self-giving. And I think what we normally do when we look at Jesus' life is we say, well, he was God. So what do you, I mean, that's how he was able to do it, right? Like we, we say he was God, and so somehow that gets us off the hook. Like we're not God, he was, and so really we don't have a chance. We don't have a shot at living the way that he did. But we forget that although he was God, and at... <laughs> And at no point did he ever cease being fully God. We forget that in him being fully human, he didn't hang on to his rights and privileges as the son of God and use them to his advantage. We forget that. That he in his humanness, if you will, experienced life just the way that we experience it. And he subjected himself to the same limitations that we have. What was Jesus' secret? If he didn't use his rights and privileges 
as God to his own advantage? How was he able to live such a victorious life? This was Jesus' secret. Jesus had habits that regularly placed himself before the Father and the Spirit so that his mind and his body were poised and ready to do the right thing at the right time from the right, out of the right motivation, right? That's the secret. In regards to Jesus, Dallas Willard wrote this. Certainly, we cannot reasonably hope to do his deeds without adopting his form of life. And we cannot adopt his form of life without engaging in his disciplines, maybe even more than he did, and surely adding others demanded by our much more troubled condition. If we, this is the this is the main big idea of this lesson. If we are going to break out of the failure cycle, if we are going to get unstuck, we must adopt Jesus' habits. You know why few people can play basketball like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Steph Curry and LeBron James? Few people ha- have their God-given ability, obviously, but few people are willing to adopt their habits. If you hear about any of their training programs, it is just insane what they do, how they eat, how they sleep, how they recover from their training, the amount of shots they get up, the amount of skill work they do, fundamental work that they do, the amount of film that they watch. The same is true when it comes to living like Jesus. The reason that few people are able to live like Jesus is because few people are willing to adopt his habits and lifestyle. What were those habits that routinely opened Jesus to the Father, to the Spirit? so that he could be strengthened by the Father and the Spirit, and so that his mind and body could be tuned in to God's activity in him. What were those habits for Jesus? Well, I believe that Jesus' life consisted of four overarching habits. Here they are. Engagement with God, engagement with knowledge and truth, Engagement with community, engagement with experience. And I want to look at each of these starting with engagement with God. In terms of the Father, the Gospels record Jesus regularly practicing silence in solitude. Jesus, the Gospels record him time and time again going away to a place, a silent place, where there was no people around so that he could be alone with the Father, so that he could listen to what the Father had to say, so that he could express himself to the Father. Mark one thirty five says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. How often do you do that? 
Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Luke 5, 16. So he himself often, often, it was his habit, withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. When we turn to Luke 11, that chapter records Jesus praying. This time he was within earshot of his disciples. And after he was done praying, the disciples wanted to know from Jesus, how do you pray like you pray? Here you have these good Jewish boys that have been praying all their life, and they want to know how to pray like Jesus prayed. The way he prayed was different. The way he prayed, it was as if he had this, because he did, had this intimate relationship with the Father that he would even call God the Father Abba, which is like saying, dearest dad. He had this level of intimacy with the Father because he was Constantly and regularly, he had the habit of going to the silent place where he could be in solitude with the Father. And that then carried over into a lifestyle of prayer. And so we have then Jesus. He didn't just set aside chunks of time regularly to be alone with the Father in prayer. He also then was in this constant conversation with the Father. And we see glimpses of this, like in Matthew 14, 19, when he says, you know, it it tells us that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the the loaves. We see Jesus. uh, Prayer was a lifestyle for him. Then we see Jesus, too, connecting to God the Father, engaging with the Father, this first habit through fasting to start his public ministry. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. What is fasting? It's the self-denial of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. That's what fasting is. We also see uh, Jesus engaging with God, the Father, and the Spirit through observing the Sabbath and participating in corporate worship. We see both of these habits here in Luke 4.16. So he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, so as it was his habit, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so we see Jesus had this habit of engaging with God through solitude, through silence, through prayer, through fasting, through observing the Sabbath, through corporate worship. Secondly, the second habit that Jesus had was he engaged with truth. He engaged the truth of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. In fact, 10% of everything that Jesus said were, were quotes from the Old Testament. He was a lifelong student of them. Remember when he was 12 and his parents lost him in Jerusalem? What was Jesus doing? He was at the temple. He was at the temple learning from the teachers there and asking them questions. 
Jesus was a student of the Hebrew Scriptures. He had this habit of regularly engaging God's truth. The third overarching habit of Jesus' life is that he engaged with community. He spent three years with 12 men, 24-7. Three years, 12 men. And he even had an inner circle that he was even closer to with, you know, out of those 12 men. He had Peter, James, and John, three of those 12 that he was super, super tight with. And the fourth overarching habit of Jesus' life was he engaged with experience. He didn't just sit around in the temple or the synagogue and just read the scriptures and talk about them. He actually applied what he was learning and what he was coming to understand. And so we see him engaging in experiences. uh, Most often it's loving service through his healings, through his other miracles, through his teachings, through his various acts of compassion, engagement with the Father, engagement with the truth, engagement with community, and engagement with experience. These are the habits that kept Jesus walking by the Spirit. These were the habits that kept him aware of God's activity in and through him. These are the habits that had his body poised and ready to do what was right when it needed to be done. And so if we are going to live like Jesus, we got to adopt his habits, his lifestyle, his form of life. Here's what we also see from Jesus' life. Not only did he have these general habits, but in the heat of battle, he was able to draw from these four habits and apply these four habits. You know, when you watch somebody like Steph Curry or LeBron or when you watch Larry Bird play basketball, when they were in a game, they were not thinking about the fundamentals. Actually, they weren't doing much thinking at all. They were already poised and ready through their training to do what needed to be done in the moment. And so they were free to simply play without really having to think. They were unconsciously competent in those moments. If they had to think through, all right, now when I shoot this ball, I got to have my eyes on the rim and I got to keep my elbow underneath the ball and I got to have the right balance and fall. If they had to think through all of that in competition, they would get crushed. And that's why they were successful because all these things through their training had become so automatic. I love watching Tom Brady play football because he knows exactly what he's going to do before the snap even happens. He knows exactly where the ball is going to go based on his hours of film study of the other team and their defense. It's just like clockwork. And the ball gets out of his hands you know, quicker than two seconds, and the, and, and the defensive line can't even get to him. Because... Jesus' life was organized around these four habits. He was able then to draw on them automatically without having to really think about it when he was in, that, in the heat of the battle. Let's, let's look at a couple of examples. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. It was obvious that he was engaged with the Father during this time. 
In fact, just before he went into the wilderness for the 40 days, he had just gotten baptized by, by John in the, uh, in the Jordan River, and he had just heard from the Father, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then he spent the time praying and fasting in the wilderness. He was engaging with the Father during that time. And we also see Jesus, he, he was engaged with truth. Remember when Satan came and tempted him and was throwing his fiery darts at Jesus? They were aimed at getting Jesus to doubt who he was, to doubt that God the Father really loved him, that he really was the beloved Son of God. They were aimed at getting Jesus off his road of suffering that led him, that would lead him to the cross. And how did Jesus extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy? He did so because he was able to really quickly draw on the truth of God's word. It was already in his heart. Try and think of, think of Bible verses in the heat of temptation, in, right in the middle of it, if you haven't been just in it right? And you haven't been pouring yourself over the script. It's not going to come out. Matthew 4, 3 through 4, look at how Jesus does this. Now, when the tempter came, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was living by the words of God in preparation for the battle, and then they just came out when the battle came. Let's look at another example. Jesus in the garden, right before he's arrested and crucified. We see Jesus engaging with God. He, He gets away from everybody, his disciples. He gets away in silence and solitude to pray to the Father. And then we see him engage with God's truth and submit to it. Remember Jesus' prayer, Lord, basically, Father, if there's another way, let's do it that way. But if not, your will, not my will. He was engaging the truth that there was no other way. And he was willing to submit himself to that truth and move forward down that road that led to the cross. We see Jesus engaged with community when he told Peter, James, and John in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. If Jesus organized his life around these four habits and through them he was able to remain open to God's activity in him, If he engaged in these four habits so that then in the heat of the battle he could draw for them, what makes us think that we can do the things that Jesus did without organizing our lives in the same way that he did? Add this to the fact that the church throughout the centuries The spiritual giants that have come along, they have all organized themselves around these habits. How are we going, why do we think that we're above our master in this regard, in his people that have come before us? What makes us think we're going to be able to walk by the Spirit and live a victorious life over Satan, sin, and death? 
without having the same practices that Jesus had. Let me close by giving you a real-life example of how this actually works. So, we're talking about removing our sinful habits of thinking and behaving. How do we utilize these four habits to do so? Well, let's go back to the example from my life. Remember how I struggle with Mary being upset over things I don't think she should be upset about. And often my automatic response is not very godly or loving. My mind and body is poised to be negative, right? How does this, how can I overcome this? How do I get unstuck? What if on a daily basis I took 10 to 15 minutes to engage God through solitude, silence, and prayer? What if as I prayed, I asked God, or rather I talked to God about the situation, and I told him, you know, how I feel in those moments and what I really struggle with? And what if as I prayed, he revealed the pride in my heart that says, you know, Mary should be as flexible and rational and God-trusting as me. And what if in prayer, God also enabled me to see that there are plenty of other circumstances that Mary has the level head in, and I do not. And where I'm upset for no good reason. What if also in prayer, as a form of watching and praying, I imagine the whole scenario playing out again, but instead of my sinful response, I visualize engaging in certain replacement thinking and behaving that is in alignment with the kingdom. What if I visualize Mary getting upset about something I don't think she should be and responding by walking over and just giving her a hug? What if I visualized while I walked over to give her a hug, thinking about the, the patience that Christ has had with me. What if as a part of that 10 to 15 minutes of prayer, I also engage with God's truth on this issue? What if I spend time meditating on Jesus' teaching to first take the log out of your own eye before you try and remove the speck from another person's eye? And what if I engaged in experience What if twice a week I committed to intentionally pick times to listen to Mary without judgment? What if I asked good questions when I listened to her and expressed empathy to her without trying to fix it? What if I just really felt with her? And imagine if I engaged in community on this issue. Imagine if I had a couple brothers in Christ that I could go to, that I asked for prayer, that they could be praying for me, and that weekly they would check in on me to ask me how I'm doing and how God is teaching me and rewiring me on this issue. What if for 30 days I committed to this 10 to 15 minutes of engaging God through prayer on this issue, engaging his truth. And then what if for a period of three days, um, I got together with my band of brothers weekly to discuss this issue? I tend to think that my mind and body might be a little bit more poised 
to love Mary in those situations when they come again. I tend to think that over after 30 days of engaging with God, experience his truth in community, his spirit would rewire me so that I'm able to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. My guess is that these old automatic sinful responses would start to die off. They would be killed, and I would live more victoriously. Do you want to be free? You are free. That's the thing. Do you want to live in and out of that freedom? It's available. But often we're not willing to do what it takes to partner with Jesus to see victory come. And that's a sad thing. And so I ask you this morning, what is the sin that is entangling you? What sin has got you caught in the failure cycle? How might you train with Jesus in his habits of engaging with God, community, experience, and his truth? So that in time, he can rewire you from the inside out. So that in the heat of the battle, you are ready to do what you need to do without, with little thinking. It just naturally flows out of you. And guess what? The more and more you do it in the heat of the battle, guess what? It's going to become easier and easier and easier. Something is really awesome about our brains and Science has just discovered this in recent years, but our brains can, are like plastic, and they can actually be changed physically, and we have all these neurons, like 100 billion neurons in our brain, and each neuron has an average of 10,000 connections to other neurons, and when we engage in new experiences, new neurons fire together, and they create new circuits in the brain that actually then rewire the brain. It's phenomenal. Like your brain, if you engage in the habits with the spirit, and you're consistent with it, just think about where your brain will be in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. I get excited about that. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful uh, for who you are, how you love us, and we're thankful for your spirit that is available to us that can totally rewire, renew our brains. Lord, I pray that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you, that we would train with you in your habits so that we're able to live victoriously the way that you lived yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.